Well, hey, good morning, Raymond Terrace. My name is Chris Sinclair. Um, I am a pastor here in the United States. Uh, Specifically, I'm the pastor of worship and discipleship at the First Baptist Church of New Lebanon, Ohio. Um, I have uh, been acquainted with uh, your your pastor, Chris Thomas, uh, for a little over a year now. And man, I was deeply grateful and humbled whenever he asked me to bring the word to you all this morning. Um, You know, I've never preached outside of the United States, but you better believe that as, as soon as this airs over there, I'm going to be billing myself as an international speaker. Um, so Chris, brother, I am deeply grateful and humbled uh, for the opportunity to be able to bring the word to you this morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. So a little bit about me. I'm born and raised here in the United States. Uh, Specifically, I was born and raised in Texas. Um, And whenever I turned 17 years old, I had developed a very deep interest in music. Um, And so I started playing guitar and bass and mandolin and started teaching myself how to play the piano and um, became uh, very involved in the music scene uh, where I grew up. And I started to play bass in a rock band. And that was my dream, that I was going to be a rock star. And I pursued it with everything that I had. I put my hope in being famous. I was going to tour the world playing music. And of course, just like in the movies and the TV shows and all the stereotypes that you know of people involved in the rock scene, I I was introduced to all of the, the, the worldly pleasures that you can imagine. There was uh, drugs and alcohol and a lot of partying, things like that. I did this for about two years, from the time I was 17 till I was 19 years old, and, 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 and unfortunately developed a lot of bad habits during that time. And whenever I was 19, a, a lot of unfortunate events kind of um, uh, fell on me all at once. I, I failed a drug test at work and lost my job. Um, and because I lost my job, I was unable to pay the rent in the house that I was living at the time. So I eventually essentially found myself homeless living out of my car. Uh, my band broke up and uh, suddenly I found myself with, without a band, without music. The, the dream that I was chasing for so long was gone. And, and I just devolved into a deep depression. I found myself homeless. I found myself dreamless. And I found myself hopeless. And so one night when I was 19 years old, I locked myself in the, the bathroom of my sister's house. And I attempted to take, take my life. Now, obviously, it didn't work. Um, I woke up a couple hours later by the grace of God. Um, I did not become a Christian until a few months later after that experience. Um, but the, I think that my experience in that bathroom that evening um, is something that we can all relate to. Um, it, that, that hopelessness that I felt is something that I'm sure that many of us have all experienced at some time. You see, there is a sickness in the world that affects all of humanity. And it's this discontentment. It's a constant kind of low-level dissatisfaction with the way things are that seems to always creep in no matter what. I mean, from the oldest of us to the youngest of us, all of us experience this. And this is so clearly evidenced in the fact that we're always asking ourselves the question, what's next? What is next? So 
at the time of this recording, this weekend, uh, is going to be my youngest daughter, Clara. It's going to be her fifth birthday. And listen to me, I guarantee you, it does not matter how many presents we give her or how many cakes we bake her or parties we plan her. Her question at the end of all of the festivities is going to be, what's next? Is there anything else? And perhaps even some of you right now as you're watching this are wondering what you're going to have for lunch as soon as this is over. It doesn't matter how many successful companies you build and sell. It doesn't matter how many exotic vacations you take. It doesn't matter how many drugs you ingest, how much sex you have, or how much fame you achieve. The the question that will always haunt you is, what's next? You see, there is not enough excitement in the world for the human heart. And it's always been that way from the very beginning of time. This dissatisfaction with life is everywhere. You don't have to look very far to see it. Perhaps you only have to look in the mirror. You see, this world is full of people like me, people like I was that night. Years ago when I was 19 in my sister's bathroom. But I found something that completely changed my life. And I want to share it with you. But to do that, we're going to have to look at the ancient wisdom of the Apostle Paul that he explained in Philippians chapter 4. So go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So just to explain what he's saying there is the church at Philippi, whenever Paul began his missionary journey, the church at Philippi was the first church to partner with him in supporting him financially in his travels to take the gospel to the world. And he's saying that he, that they have revived their concern for him, meaning that they have begun again to assist him. Though at one time... They didn't have an opportunity. So they started to help him. Something happened. We don't know what. Maybe a famine or something. And the church of Philippi was unable to support him. But now they're able to support him again. They have revived their concern for him. And Paul is rejoicing in this assistance that he's receiving from them. And then he keeps on speaking in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any, in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then, of course, everybody's favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there are a couple things that I want to point out to you before we jump into what I believe that secret to contentment is that Paul is speaking of. First, notice that Paul says that we need Christ's strength in order to be content in every situation, whether good or bad. See, the strength that Christ supplies, according to Paul, is intended to help us weather the storms of life, yes, but also the calms. Now, we're very quick to quote that verse whenever we are brought low, whenever we're in hunger, whenever we are in need. But are we just as quick to rely upon the strength of Christ to help us endure the times when we abound, when we have plenty, when we enjoy abundance? 
Because, yes, we need strength to endure the seasons of life that are good. We need just as much strength to stay content in both situations, the good and the bad. Because, oddly enough, it seems that it's actually the good times in life that will sap us of our reliance upon Christ faster and more effectively than the bad. And soon we've become convinced that the world and not God will satisfy us. Our hearts are so fickle, we need the strength of Christ to endure even in times of prosperity so that we will not become discontent with God. That is what Paul learned. And that's what I need to learn too. So second, notice that Paul's contentment is not found within himself, but outside of himself. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So anyone who tells you to look, find an inner strength, anybody who tells you to man up, anybody who tells you to search deep within yourself, you need to ignore them. To see the stinging truth about the world that make things so hard to bear at times is that the problem is not the world. It's you. The problem is with us. There is something about us that is wrong and dissatisfied. Now, he was a comedian, uh, but at least on one occasion, Louis C.K. said something profound that perfectly describes our problem. He said, everything is amazing and nobody is happy. Everything is amazing and nobody is happy. Because you see, the problem is not in the things themselves that fail to satisfy you. Everything is amazing. I mean, just look around. Look at what we have access to. I am preaching to you from the other side of the world. Look at the technology that we have available to us. I mean, when you truly contemplate life and creation and love and family and reality and and whatever, when you think hard about the world, you will see that everything actually truly is amazing but nobody seems to be happy. It's because the fault lies within us. There is something about our hearts, our minds, our desires that leaves us constantly discontent. And it's why we need a strength that's not our own if we're going to be able to fight against the paralyzing and the overwhelming feeling of dissatisfaction and find true contentment in the world. And that leads me to my third and final point before we jump in. If our ability to enjoy life and be content is threatened in the good times as well as the bad, and if our ability to be content comes from a strength that is not our own, then the fruit of contentment is profoundly a theological one. And what I mean by that is that our ability to be content is directly derived from our understanding of God. You see, there were certain things that Paul understood about God that led him to say these words to the Philippians. And luckily for us, he has recorded those truths for us in this same letter. Because you see, Philippians 4, 10 through 13 doesn't just come out of nowhere. Paul didn't just say what he said for no reason. Philippians 4, 10 through 13 didn't just arise out of a vacuum. This is a conclusion that comes from everything that Paul has mentioned before leading up to this. So what we're about to do 
is about to take a quick tour through the landscape of Paul's letter to the Philippians to try and understand exactly what it is about God that Paul knew, what this secret was that allowed him to be content in any situation. Now, the first thing that Paul knew is that his outcome is secure. And that truth is found in chapter 1. So turn there. We're going to be in chapter 1. Now, listen, what had happened to me was that I had lost all hope that things were ever going to change. I didn't know what I was going to eat. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I had no job, I had no band, and I had what I thought was no future. My fear was that I thought that I would be a failure. And the best outcome I thought for my life would be to just end it all right there in that bathroom. What I needed in that moment was to know that the outcome of my life was secure. And this is something that Paul knew as a certainty. Look at what he says in chapter 1 in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in other words, if you are in Christ, God has started something good in you that he will not give up on. And when Jesus Christ returns, which is not too long from now, The work and the striving and the toil will be complete. It will be done. There will be rest. And listen, this is not of your own doing. It is the work that he began. And this is the work that he will bring to completion. You see, it's that security that starts us down the path of contentment. It's knowing that our future is not in our own hands, but is in the hands of God. We cannot derail God's plans for our life. If we give ourselves to him, he will receive us and he will keep us. So therefore, if we are brought low, we can endure. We can be content knowing that the secure future that God has planned for us includes no pain. And if we are abounding, then we can be content, knowing that God will protect our hearts from being led astray by the riches of this world because he has something so much better in store waiting for us. It reminds me of an illustration that I heard from a pastor named Ray Ortland. He describes a man who's very poor, who lost everything. And he finds himself living inside of a giant cardboard refrigerator box. And he's the walls of this cardboard refrigerator box with all of the hopes and dreams that he wished to be able to experience, but that he lost along the way. And just as soon as he is about to give up, he receives uh, a message from somebody. He says, hey, listen, uh, you didn't know it, um, but you have a, a, a long lost uncle, a long lost relative who was a multi-billionaire. And he's passed away, and you're his only heir. Now, it's going to take a week or two to get all the paperwork in order, but you're going to inherit everything. Now, suddenly, in that moment, for that man, even though the situation is still horrible, living in that box just a little bit longer doesn't seem so bad. He knows what's coming to him. 
He knows that his outcome is going to be secure. So the certainty of our outcome is where we begin when we're going to go down the path of towards contentment. The second thing you need to know is that your obedience to change will be rewarded. Now, another fear that I had that compounded my disappointment with life was that the work that I needed to do to change my circumstances was just going to be way too hard and not worth it. I mean, I had hit rock bottom and the things that I needed to do to turn my life around were just too much. I would have to give up way too much. I would have to sacrifice too many things that just meant so much to me. And perhaps you feel the same way because that's what the gospel calls us to do is to leave everything behind to follow Christ, to count it all as lost. Maybe you're just too afraid to sacrifice the things that mean so much to you. And that's leading to this low level discontentment. You just don't know if it's going to be worth it. But I want you to know that every single thing that you give up for the sake of contentment in Christ will be rewarded and it will be worth it. That's the second lesson that Paul teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 by giving us the example of Christ. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Christ, though he was in the form of God... He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, his obedience was painful. His obedience was hard. His obedience was something that was impossible for us to do. Our obedience to God will not always lead you to a pain-free life, but it will lead you into a meaningful one. Listen to what it says. It says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so because of the pain that Christ experienced, God has highly exalted him. And has given him the name that is above all names. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' obedience to God was not pain free. But it was worth it. He was rewarded for it. Now, if I remember what Chris said correctly, I believe you all have just recently finished a series through the book of Ecclesiastes, perhaps, or maybe you're in the middle of it or something. Um, but, but what we learned in that book is that there are typically two paths that we can be on, that either we can be on the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. And if we refuse to obey God and his commandments, then we are marching headlong on the path of foolishness that will never lead us to contentment. But if we are obedient to Jesus, then we are promised a reward. Listen to me. It is through obedience to God that he is able to prove himself faithful to satisfy you. You see, 
some of us just kind of play this silly game with God where we, we pay lip service to him and we come into church and we sing our songs and we try and act spiritual. But outside of church, we have zero desire to actually try and understand what God's will for our life is and pursue it and live it out. And it's that lack of obedience that is just feeding our misery. And if that misery hasn't hit you yet, it soon will. Playing the game will get you nowhere. It takes true obedience. So do you see how this plays into Paul's secret to contentment? Yes, following Christ is hard. And it will lead to both highs and lows. But the journey that we are on will be one that not only will we, be, will we finish victorious, we will be rewarded for. If obedience for you means that you have to walk a path of hardship, then you know that God does not overlook that. And you can confidently choose to be obedient to God no matter what your situation. You will not be overlooked. You will not be forgotten by God. You will be rewarded. And you can be content with your lot in life if you are assured that your lot is the result of your obedience to God and that he will reward you in due time. But is all that really enough, though? I I mean, yeah, I get, look, my eternal future is secure. My obedience to Jesus will be rewarded one day. So I just need to tough it out right now. Like I get that. But, but what about right now? I mean, things are hard right now. Look at the situation that we are in. One of the strongest discouragements that I felt that led me to that bathroom floor was the idea that all of my pain and that all of my suffering was meaningless. My worldview at the time did not have any answers for why I was hurting the way that I was. I thought that it was all so unfair and meaningless. And this led me to be discontent with my life and wanting to end it. I mean, if there was no purpose at all for all the hurt and the pain that I was going through, then why experience it? Why not just end it right then and there? This was my reasoning. And several people have succumbed to that line of reasoning. I have to admit, without God and without knowing that I have an eternal purpose, that kind of thinking is attractive. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches in regard to our suffering. In fact, the Bible brings so much meaning and purpose to our pain and to our discomfort and to our suffering as to almost seem to give it some kind of dignity. Now, let me show you, okay? Look back in chapter 1 and verse 12. Now, remember, Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to the church at Philippi from a jail cell, okay? He wrote this from prison. Listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment Imprisonment is for Christ. You see, Paul's goal was to fulfill the Great Commission, to go to all nations and to make disciples. Now, being locked up in a jail cell would seem to be a hindrance to that, would it not? But no. You see, what has happened to Paul actually served to advance the gospel. 
Now, how dignifying is this? That God can take your pain and your suffering, your setbacks, and he can turn them into means by which the gospel itself can be furthered and carried to the world. Do you trust this? Do you have enough faith to believe this? Now, it's, it's when I'm faced with these kinds of situations in my own life that I cry out along with the centurion, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That is an okay prayer to pray. This is hard to understand, but it is such a prominent teaching in the New Testament, and it is vital that we understand this. Because Paul speaks of this exact same thing happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages. Just listen to this. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carried carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you see that gospel connection between our suffering and the salvation of the world? Death is at work in us, but life in you. Our suffering is immediately connected to the salvation of others. But notice that it's not just any kind of suffering. Paul is not saying that if we just endure pain, then somehow that will contribute to the gospel. It is how we endure the pain that serves to advance the gospel. We endure the pain with a certain kind of contentment because we are fueled by the promise that none of these things that we experience will have the final say. Jesus does. Listen again to what he says. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, meaning that our sickness does not have the final word. He says, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair, meaning our doubts do not have the final word. He says, we are persecuted but not forsaken our loneliness does not have the final word we are struck down but not destroyed our sufferings do not have the final word we are always carrying in the body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may also be manifested in our bodies he's saying that our savior has the final word and his word is life And you get to contribute to this. It's an amazing reality that we have found ourselves in. So Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He knows the secret, he says. Now we've learned at least some of the things that that Paul has learned to help him be content. And that's what we need to hear right now. If you are in Christ, you need to know that your eternal inheritance is secure. It is being kept waiting for you. And it is only a short moment until you attain it. In the meantime, you strive to be faithful to Christ. Following his example of humble obedience. Knowing that the pain of that obedience 
obedience will be rewarded. And not only will that pain be rewarded, but it will be injected with purpose and meaning by God being used to further the gospel for the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ. When your future is secure, when your obedience to him is rewarded, and when your pain is useful to God's plan for the redemption of the world, then you know what that makes you? Content. Makes you content. It sets you at ease. And it brings you peace. You are content with whatever life throws at you. Are you brought low? God will raise you up on the last day. You can be content. Are you abounding? God will keep your heart from going adrift by showing you how much more valuable he is. You can be content. Are you facing hunger and need? And God is using that suffering for the furtherance of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom, which one day in the very near future, we will all together in America and in Australia be singing about together for eternity, for the glory of God. Be content. You can do all these things through Christ who gives you strength. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a remarkable reality that you have invited us into. That this life that we get to live, even though we are surrounded by so much pain and suffering, even though that our obedience to you requires so much sacrifice, even though the world will tell us that, that we have to be the ones to achieve our destiny, to be the ones to earn our success, to be the ones to secure our own outcome, You have promised us something so much greater. You have given us an eternal hope that is secure, that we are eternally rescued by the blood of Jesus, and that nothing can take us out of your hand. God, you have shown us that our obedience to you and the things that we give up, we will never regret. That what we will receive in return is far greater than anything that we could lose. And God, you've shown us that even in the pain of that losing, that if we endure with contentment, then you will take that pain and it will not be for naught. That you can use it to show people how amazing and satisfying and fulfilling you are in our lives, furthering the gospel to those who need it. How meaningful. What dignity you have bestowed upon us by taking us even in what seems to be the worst moments and using those moments for something that will be eternally significant. God, you are so kind. You are so merciful. You are so gracious to us. And I pray, God, that you would bless Raymond Terrace with this secret to contentment that we've talked about. 
God, that you would bless each and every single person, that you would fill them with this satisfaction, that they do not need the things of this world, that the people in their community would look at this church and they would see people that are walking through this pandemic and through these tumultuous times with such a contentment and a peace that makes them ask for the hope that they have and why they have it and that they would be faithful to declare that the only thing that they cling to is Jesus Christ and the cross that he died upon. God, may every single one of us lay our burdens down at the feet of Jesus. May we come to him with open, empty hands of faith, ready to receive whatever it is that you have to give us. And may we be content with that. Help us to learn this secret, God, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Raymond Terrace, it's been a privilege to be with you all this morning. God bless you. Have a great day.